everyone. Thank you for tuning in for another week of the Extra Rounds podcast. My name is Mike Dice, host as always. I'm by myself. Uh, my co-host, Alia Sepeda, is out sick this week. But don't worry. Calling in to replace him, we have the one and only Jose Youngs. He writes for Fansided MMA, Flow Combat, and a million other places. Um, but we have him on the show because he was there at Bellator 170, and that was the big MMA event that happened this week's weekend, so we figured we would talk about that. And who better, Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in for another... Who better to talk to about uh, Bellator 170 than a man who was on the ground? So, Jose, you were there. What was the atmosphere like at the forum? The atmosphere was... If, anybody, if no one's been to a Bellator event, but they've been to a UFC event, uh, it's similar, but a, very different. I mean, they, they put a lot more effort into the extravagance and the, uh, the theatrics, the entrances, the live video packages, and the, uh, the, the fans uh, that you're, they are closer to the celebrities sitting case side. So it's a little more of an event as opposed to the UFC is more of a, a, sport, a, a sporting event. And this is entertainment. I mean, just when I, when I was, they, they sit the media behind the front row of fans, which is different than the UFC, where the UFC, the media is right up against the cage. And I'm looking at all the celebrities' case side, and it is the most random assortment of individuals I've ever seen in a group. I mean, you had Sean Merriman, former San Diego Chargers, sitting next to Demi Lovato, who was sitting next to Herschel Walker, who was sitting next to Leila Ali, who was sitting next to ACS, who was sitting next to Anthony Anderson, the actor. It is such a weird event, but fans love it, and I gotta say, if, if you can't make a UFC event and you want to go to and there's a Bellator event in your area, I 100% recommend it if you just want to be entertained. So you've been to a lot of UFC events too. Do you feel like Bellator draws more uh, celebrities in the crowd, or is it just because it was in LA and it's convenient? I do think it was in a because it was in LA. Uh, Tito Ortiz fighting at the main event definitely helped, but I mean they have these events in LA, but then the next week they have to go to like Sackerville or. Uh, uh, the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. So it's like Bellator is doing what they're doing. They have a handful of big events. They have their dynamite shows. Uh, they have their kickboxing cross promotion. So they'll have like five to six major, major events that everyone tunes in for. But if you're asking me if Leo Ali is going to go to like Sackerville, Oklahoma, I would <laughs> say no. But they're good for they're good for uh, uh, the, the circus is good for a few days a year. Okay, well, let's talk about the main event. The big draw, the big talk, uh, talking point was Tito Ortiz, his retirement match against Chael Sonnen, the bad blood, the history, everything, um, you know, everything that went into it. What was the atmosphere like when that fight built up? Was it just, you know, was everybody there invested in that fight? Was it leading into that fight? Was the event kind of waiting for that pinnacle moment? I mean, they had to follow up uh, the Paul Bailey brandon Ward fight, which was, you saw, ended pretty violently, so... The, the crowd was pretty hot going into the main event, and the, the, the hype for the main event seemed to, to build and build just in the, the packages, because like, like I said before, like Bellator does this, like, they have the entranceway, they have the, they have the ramp, they have the fireworks, they have the big graphics behind it, very, very WWE-esque. Uh, they have the en- intro songs and everything. Um, Tito Ortiz walked out, his his, uh, with the troops, which got everybody hyped. They actually sang the Star Spangled Banner before the main event, which the UFC never plays the Star Spangled Banner, so that got people real emotional. Tito Ortiz looked like he was going to burst into tears during the national anthem. He was singing along, and Chael Sonnen was, was looking very serious at the American flag. So that right there was a pretty emotional moment because the 
troops were there and Fedor Ortiz's last fight. He was going nuts during the song. And then, it, yeah, in terms of excitement, it, it, it was a slow build, and all of a sudden, as soon as the bell rang for the first round, people were hyped. I think Bellator did an excellent job uh, building anticipation for that all night long. Okay, what did you think of the fight itself? You know, a lot of people questioned the uh, legitimacy of the choke. There was, uh, Elias wrote a piece about breaking down the technique and why it worked. A lot of people felt like he wasn't under the chin. What was your initial reaction? Well, I, I don't want to say anything about the technique and embarrass myself, especially on Elias' show. Because he's, he's the guy to go to for the grappling aspect. But in terms of uh, what I think this is a fight fan, I just I think Chael just got was like a deer in the headlights. I think the last time we fought was November 2013 at UFC 157. He got finished by Rashad Evans in the first round. And, what, more than three years later, he's now fighting Peter Ortiz and he hasn't competed since. I think that he went out there, and you can do all the sparring you want when that cage closes and you actually have someone trying to knock you out for real. And he said it himself, like, right off the bat, he got hit with a straight right hand down the middle and it snapped his head back. And you can't take three years off, come back, and then get in a fist fight and expect to not have a ring rust. I mean, not everyone is Dominic Cruz. Uh, I just think Chael Sonnen took a lot of time. Even he said he wasn't in the gym the first seven months of his suspension. I just think he he's rusty. He got deer in the headlights. And he said to himself he needed the minutes. He needed to take the cobwebs off. He wanted to keep competing. So I'm expecting next fight uh, to see a better Chael Sonnen. But I don't think it was fixed. I don't think Chael would do that. Uh, Chael's a very prideful person. Uh, he's a very competitive person. I don't think he would simply throw the fight. Did I think he was a quick tap? Maybe. Maybe he just, again, deer in the headlights rusty maybe he couldn't he couldn't fight out of it who knows but i do not think it was fixed, as some people are saying yeah i definitely don't think it was fixed uh, myself either but you know the other big main point for me was how gracious uh chael Sonnen was and how kind of honest he was in breaking it down afterwards and not that that's uncharacteristic of him but what was your read at the post-fight press conference uh i mean tito seemed to still have ill will towards chael i mean even at the end of the press conference which i didn't really like this aspect of it tito if he's it was like, it's my birthday, I won, I'm going out of retirement. It was this big, like, inspirational moment, uh, emotional moment. And then at the end, he goes, Chael, you got something to say now? And then Chael's like, yeah, you won. Like, what do you want me to say? And that kind of was a little sour grace of Tito Ortiz at the end. Like, yeah, he won, and he's still trying to poke Chael. But Chael's always been that guy. I mean, he fought Anderson. He lost Anderson. He still showed up at the press conference. Uh, he, he's one of the few fighters where if he talks, talks this big game, loses, He'll, he'll face the music, and he did all the interviews after. He he didn't shy away from anyone. He, he lost, and he's the first one to admit it. So, uh, classic Chael Sonnen, where he'll build the fight up, win or lose, he'll he'll face the music at the end. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk to us today. Uh, I know you're a busy man. Let let everybody know where they can find you on social media. Yeah, you, you can just find me at Jose Young. That's J O S E Y O U R G S. All one word. I'm pretty much every single social media account. I'm, I think I'm the only Jose Youngs in the world, so you shouldn't have <laughs> finding me there. One of seven, according to Jim Edwards. Yeah, true story. Apparently, according to Jim Edwards, it's about 5,000. I'll take his word for it. All right, well, thank you so much. See you, man. All right, and I didn't get to mention this earlier in the day uh, when we started the show, but um, I'll run through it now. Basically, joining us on the phone today, we're going to have... Um, three different uh, fighters. We have Bellator's fighter, uh, Emmanuel Sanchez. He's a featherweight. He just fought Georgie, Georgie in the uh, Bellator 170. He's going to come in and call in and talk to us about that a fight. Then we also have calling in at 2.30. We have Vulcan. Let me look up 
uh, Volkan Izdemir, who was supposed to fight from Titan over the weekend or a couple weeks ago, but he got signed with the UFC all of a sudden um, and is now facing Ovin St. Peru at the, uh, the Houston card in the UFC. He's going to call in at 2.30. And then we have Tony Ferguson, El Kukui, calling in at 2.45 to talk about his um, upcoming interim title fight against Habib Nurmagomedov. I always mess that name up. But anyway, so we got a pretty stacked lineup, so we're just going to keep rolling through it. Um, and right now we're going to try and get my man Emmanuel Sanchez on the line. Just give me one moment. For those of you who uh, missed the card, Bellator 170 was pretty pretty entertaining. Uh, Jose alluded to it um, a little bit with uh, the Brennan Ward, uh, Paul Daly fight. Hold on, let's see. Hey, are you there? Hello. Hello. Oh, hey! Thank you. Uh, we got a Manuel Sanchez on the line. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us today. What's up, my man? Not much. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. First time, first time live appearance on the uh, the Sports Illustrated Extra Rounds podcast. <laughs> so, are you uh, back in Milwaukee yet? Or are you still in California? Or are you on vacation? Uh, I'm in the gym right now. You never stop, huh? Never stop. So, what was your uh, what was your overall feeling of the event? How did you you know experience it? Uh, the forum, you know, it's an iconic venue. Did you appreciate that? <clears throat> Did you I'm sorry? You there? Are you there? Oh. Looks like we might have lost him. Let me try to call him. Let me try to get him back on the phone. Have reached the it looks like we lost them anyways um, anyways as uh, Jose was alluding to um, the Paul Daly Brennan Ward fight in the co-main event was simply um, there were fireworks I guess you could say for those of you who follow Bellator or MMA at all it was very reminiscent of when Michael Venom Page fought um, Cyborg Santos, and he delivered that you know brutal flying knee. It was really, I mean, it was it was spectacular to watch. It was also kind of um, scary and startling to watch, uh, as from a spectator's perspective, because Paul Daly jumped and landed this knee that just seemed to you know cause a lot of damage to um, to Brennan Ward. He was down for a few moments. Um, he shared if you you know if you follow him on social media, I think his Twitter handle is Swaggleberry Finn. Um, he shared a uh, an image of him 
afterwards with this cut on his eye and this bruising. Fortunately, he didn't suffer the kind of trauma that Cyborg Santos did after the Michael Venom Page thing, which you might remember is when um, he celebrated with the Pokemon celebration and rolled the Pokeball at him. Of course, you know, a lot of people had ill feelings about that, but that wasn't really necessarily his fault. He didn't understand the extent of the injury um, at the time. You know, later we'd see the x-rays come out, we'd learn the full extent. Uh, he just, you know, thought it was a knockout. Anyways, uh, this one kind of reminiscent when you follow it, you couldn't help but think back to that injury and hope that it wasn't as serious Brendan Ward. It was, you know, a, a jumping, flying knee. Um, fortunately, it seemed to like, based on the way the, the cut is on, the pictures that Brendan Ward share, shared, it was on the side of his face and it wasn't, you know, to the front of the head like with Cyborg Santos. So, um, you know, fortunately, he seems to be okay and he's not suffering as an extent of, you know, as um, much damage as Cyborg Santos did. So uh, it was, but that was, you know, a huge moment, you know, big flashy knockout, gets the crowd going. Um, you know, there was a lot of hype that the main event had to live up to. And, you know, I'd like to say that I think it did. Um, it was a quick fight. Um, Tito Ortiz getting the submission in the first round over Chael Sonnen, who could very well have been dealing with some ring rust. Oh, I think I got him back on the line now. Let's see. Hey, you there? Yes, sir. Hey, sorry about that. Oh, no, yeah, I apologize. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, you're perfect. So let's, uh, let's talk about the fight. Um, the big you know, point that stands out for me was the point being deducted. Uh, what did you think when all that was happening? You know, Georgie got a warning, and then you didn't get the same warning. You just got a, you know, the point deducted. What was your thoughts on the way that played out? Well, I thought that was BS. I think that ref was horrible, and, you know, I got robbed. Uh, thankfully, it didn't cost me the fight, but, you know, uh, it is what it is. I'm not happy about it at all, but, you know, um, yeah, it just sucks. It's unfortunate, but, you know, I just got to learn from it. Did anyone offer you an explanation why you didn't get a warning as well? Um, no, actually. You know, the ref just automatically pulled me aside and said, hey, you get a point taken away now. And I, there I am, you know, left dumbfounded, you know, wondering, like, really? Like, why? Like, And to me, he was fine, you know. I didn't actually intentionally hit him in the head, you know. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Now, when the fight ended... You and Georgie had a conversation kind of there before, or like in the immediate aftermath before the uh, decision was read. What did, what did the two of you talk about? Um, you know, he told me uh, he respects the you know, hell out of me, and uh, I did the same. You know, he told me, he's like, you're a great fighter. He said, you're a great fighter, too. I told you're probably, you know, the toughest guys I've faced so far. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, he knew I got him. You know, he's... <laughs> While he uh, had my back at the end, you know, and then there's that more talking again with the ref, you know, he, I could just hear his frustration and him mad. And, you know, he said, you know, man, you know, this kid got me. So that's what he told me. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that moment, you were like kind of rocking, trying to get it out while he had your back. Um, he didn't have his like, you know, underhooks or anything like that, but you were rocking to try and get out of the position. And the ref once again warned you for headbutting. I mean, have you ever experienced like this much um, inconsistency from the ref before in a fight? Never. I've never had a ref talk to me that much in a fight. That was just ridiculous. Yeah, I have never seen that ref before, and yeah, it just was man. That could have cost me the fight, you know. Uh, him taking points and talking so much, and just yeah, it was just 
bunch of confusion and yeah wasn't very happy with that you have a lot of veteran fighters that you train with and you know some of the best coaches in the sport did did duke rufus or anybody did they watch the fight and kind of give you some like feedback on what they thought about the refing oh yeah duke got right up in the referee's face after the fight and uh you know gave him his two cents and yeah let him know what was up about that but uh you know obviously we got to conduct ourselves in a very gentleman-like way so you know we got to leave it as history be happy with the win but yeah that definitely could have cost me a win a payday and you know everything so i was glad it didn't though so wait let's go to the decision when the decision was being declared you um and they read the first which was the draw score you know you had this look of panic on your face like what's going through your mind at that moment um just again how dumb judges are too with the point deduction you know um but thank god there's experienced referees and understands that like i get it okay you know one could say oh it was a close fight you know but you when you really think about it and you look at the definition of a fight, too, you know, and then, as we all know in MMA, the definition of someone trying to win a fight by knockout or submission, you can most definitely tell I was the aggressor the entire time trying to finish a fight, and he was just trying to stall and hold me down and then try to get out of the fight, too, you know, because <laughs> I obviously didn't knee him in the head, and you can see the video, I didn't knee him in the head. So, yeah, he just didn't want in that fight. And uh, thankfully, you know, the judges who could see that I was actually actively trying to finish the fight the entire time. Did you, were you surprised at, like, how this fight went? You know, Georgie's such an experienced fighter, and you were really able to, like, kind of impose your will and control the fight and set the pace and make things go your way. Were you surprised by that? Um... You know, a little bit. You know, I uh, I'm, I expected the best Georgie to come out. You know what I mean? I, the guy's an animal. Really, I, I watched all of his fights. I've seen him, you know, uh, fight for a while. He's been on top. And, uh, yeah, I expected the best guy still to come out. And um, it, it was great that I, I got to impose my will, break him with my rhythm, my pace, my tenacity. And, you know, I feel like that's what I do with everyone I faced. And now with this one, uh, I was just able to do it even more. And uh, I'm I'm pretty happy with that in that aspect of, as far as my performance goes. You know, there's still more work that needs to be done, and more uh, obviously I got to learn, grow. You know, to uh, get the finish. So uh, I know it's there though. But what you know, what can one say? I'm fighting a guy, you know, guys with twice the amount, maybe even three times the amount of experience that I do. These guys that I'm facing have been fighting since I was in junior high before I even thought about fighting, you know? They fought all over the world. They've been world champions in other organizations or, you know, they've fought guys at the highest level already. And uh, I'm just starting, man. I'm just getting I'm just getting in my in right now, in my groove, in my prime. So that's interesting that you speak about that. You know, Georgie has a lot of experience and you, you beat him um, rather comfortably. And you talk about fighting all these guys with more experience and you're entering your prime. Like, you're also, I think, six and two, if I'm remembering correctly, in Bellator. You know, you you got like a win streak going. Have you thought about you know what's next for you? What's the future? Is it like getting into the title picture? Do you feel that that's where you belong, or do you still see that as like a couple fights away? No, I believe like that's where I belong. You know, and they they want new talent, new contenders, and uh, you know stars. Of course, they want to make people you know for the face of the organization. 
And also, I believe, um, you know, man, it's crazy. I had a little thought process last night about people just, you know, fans. And, of course, it's all opinions uh, and stuff, uh, the way judging goes. And I'm like, you know what, man? To, to be fair, I'm like, fine. If all my opponents, every single one of them, want a rematch because they feel they were all close fights, I'll give them all rematches. And I'll beat them all again. And now I know how to be. It's one thing, you know, okay, believing and finding a way to win. But also now I know how I can finish all of them. And as you've seen in each and every single one of my fights, uh, I've had each of them, uh, every single one of them on the verge of being finished. So, you know, uh, if they were all five-round fights, imagine how that would have gone, you know, for them. You know, so uh, all these guys say they want rematches with me. So, I mean, you know what? If Bellator wants to make it that way, fine. I'll do it because I know I can beat them again. If not, then, you know, on to the next one, whoever else they put in front of me. That's all that matters. I, I just, you know, I'm a company man, and uh, I just do what they say, whoever's in front of me, and that's what's next. You are a company man, but you're also a thinking man, and I know you've at times put some thought into who you want to fight and what would be best for you next. Do you do you have something like that in your mind? Um, yeah, perhaps. You know, uh, obviously the title. You know, that's the biggest thing, the title. And, uh, you know, they said they had an announcement yet to make, which they haven't, but you know, on the word of on how the champion is doing. But, uh, yeah, man, I've already faced Georgie was, like people forget, Georgie was supposed to fight for the title after the first time he beat Bubba Jenkins. Daniel Weichel fought for the title, and Pat Curran had the title. So I've just faced the three top guys in the organization right now. You know what I mean? I just have not faced the champion and uh, Pitbull. That's really it, you know, when you look at the picture, as far as, you know, the top guys, the guys who have been in the Bellator the longest, and, uh, yeah, you know what I mean, the best guys at 145, so, you know, um, whoever they put in front of me, uh, that's what I'm just, I'm ready for, but more than anything, yeah, you know, getting that belt. You think that happens this year? Um, yeah, I think that'd be great this year, absolutely, you know, because, I mean, I'm assuming Vaichu will get the title shot next, you know. Uh, I seriously doubt it would be Pitbull again. Um, Vaichu is probably the most deserving, and people can make something out of that, you know, Daniel versus Daniel. So that'd be an interesting one to play out, and that's good. Vaichu goes on, wins the belt. Vaichu versus Sanchez, too, for the title. See, you're a thinking man. I like that. Um, you, you've also, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned Chandler and, he, you know, there, there's an announcement coming about his status or whatever. You see in the other major promotion that they've been doing these interim titles. What's your feeling on that? Like, if, if Chandler's going to be out for a while or he's not going to be able to defend in the immediate future, do you want to see, like, an interim title situation and maybe Whitehall Sanchez, too, for the interim title? Or do you like that Bellator's kind of not doing the whole interim title thing? Yeah, I kind of like it. You know, there's only one real champion. You know what I mean? So... Uh, why have a belt just to, you know, hey, you got this, I mean, I guess, a nice trophy, but there's only one real champion. Uh, you know, that's just the uh, cold, hard, honest truth. There's only one real champion, and, uh, yeah, that's the only thing I'm fighting for is the, the real belt, the real champion, the real title of the world champion. So uh, it's nice, you know, that Bellator isn't doing that. It's, you know, uh I just want to focus on fighting uh, whoever's in the division that I need to face to go out and put up and uh, put a dominant performance on 
and uh, hand out ass whoopings, man. That's what I do best. <laughs> now, going into this fight, you was you had talked a lot about wanting, looking for the big fight feel, and you were originally supposed to fight AJ McGee, and uh, that was in an Oklahoma card, and you know that fight got pulled out, and that was kind of a, a big name that would draw a lot of attention. You know, you ended up on this card: Tito Ortiz, Chael Sonnen, huge names, legends in the sport, and. Uh, I was wondering, did it still have that kind of the big fight feel that you were looking for? Uh, absolutely. You know, yeah, I want to be on the biggest cards. Uh, I've been on uh, three of them already. You know what I mean? St. Louis, Houston, and now this one. You know, over, what, a million viewers. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, sold-out arenas. Uh, I, that's what I want. You know, to be on the card with legends, to be on the biggest cards. Obviously, California and Texas is, you know, my region. I'm going to sell out for the Mexican-American fans. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I'm deserving of that. And I feel like there's a reason why they want me on the biggest shows, too, you know, on the biggest cars that they have. So, you know, for me, that's, uh, that's something stupendous. Uh, that's something that I would love and really enjoy. Uh, if not, I just staying active in general is really what I'm looking for, you know. And more than anything, also Bellator Milwaukee. The last time uh, we talked to, we talked a little bit about Tito Ortiz and his influence and you looking up to him. And if I'm remembering correctly, I don't think you said that you had ever actually met him and talked to him. So I'm wondering if you got that opportunity at Bellator 170 to have like a little one-on-one -on -one time. Um, I kind of did. I just never, you know, a full-on conversation. You know, after I had fought on the Shamrock versus Gracie card, Tito was one of the first faces that I saw after I had won, you know, when I had really realized, I'm like, dang, I just fought in front of Tito Ortiz, Vanderly Silva. Uh, Mike Tyson, uh, you know, everyone who I saw front row, you know, in attendance, I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. You know what I mean? Like, I grew up watching you guys. And now these guys are watching me. So it's definitely, yeah, it's it crazy. And uh, the way the tables turned, right? And, you know, uh, none of it really soaks in until, I guess, now, you know, when I really realized, wow, man, I just shared the cage with Tito Ortiz. Tito Ortiz, man, like. The week before the fight, I had been watching Cradle of the Grave. You know, Tito was in movies. Tito, at the time, you know, light heavyweight champion of the world. Probably not even just the face of, you know, UFC, but the face of, like, MMA at the time. It was Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, Matt Hughes. They ran into tour. And, uh, yeah, it was, just, it was nuts, man, to think. I'm like, well, I just shared the cage with Tito Ortiz. And, you know, his retirement fight, too, you know, is going away. And, you know, can't write a better story. Maybe a little passing of the baton moment from Tito to you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I guess uh, just uh, a passing of the torch. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk to us. Best of luck to you in uh, your future, whatever fight comes your way. Thank you very much. I'm sure we're speaking to you guys soon, too, about the future fights that come along my way as well. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. You have a great day. You too. All right, there you have it, everybody. Bellator featherweight Emmanuel Sanchez calling in to talk to us about his fight at Bellator 170 in Los Angeles at the Forum. He fought Georgie, and uh, it was an interesting fight, back and forth. Um, you know, there was potential uh, controversy with the whole point deduction thing. Everything kind of worked out. A majority draw isn't necessarily the score that um, Emmanuel Sanchez wanted. But, you know, it's a win's a win, and he was able to exit the cage with... A, uh, a win and that's not something to, um, to take lightly and you know this is a guy who's won a bunch of fights and uh, is in good contention but I think we have our next guest on the line Volkan Izdemir are you there 
I'm here. Hey, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk to us today. Yeah, no problem. How are you doing? Good, and you? Doing very well. So, the big news surrounding you, you're going into a, week, uh, into a card, expecting to fight for a title in Titan FC. Next thing you know, you're, you know, kicking the next fight down the line and you're going to fight UFC in Houston against Ovin St. Peru in uh, a light heavyweight bout. So, you know, how did this all go down? How did this all come about? Were you, did the UFC call you and then you have to talk to Titan or did um, Titan... Yeah, it was just, it was just, everything was so fast that day. So Lex called me, told me to call him and I, he told me like, hey, uh, you got to call me. It's not negative. And I was like, because last time I was supposed to fight and my fight got canceled. So I was like, oh my God, the fight is canceled again, you know? And um, I just called him and he was like, hey, you got a UFC offer on the line. And uh, and I was like, wow, what the fuck, you know? And then he told me, yeah, um, if you want, if you want to take the fight, you're gonna you're gonna have to take on OSP. And I said, oh, yes, for sure, you know? Like, uh, no, I was I was I was psyched, you know? So I didn't even think twice, you know? So I just say the deal and. We just went from there. Did, did part of you kind of feel a little guilty about the way that you weren't ever going to get to fight in the Titan FC? Or and did Lex McMahon, did he make you feel better about it? No, Lex was the one pushing for me too, you know? That's that's why everything was so smooth about it, you know? Because um, Lex first... So my, my, my opponent got, can, what, got um, a staff infection, you know? So the fight almost got canceled. They find a late replacement. And uh, so the fight was already, you know, like, it was really unstable, you know. And, uh, but then Lex told me, uh, I'm, you know, like, hey, if you want, we can release you. And I'll say, okay, just, you know, let's, let's do it, you know. I'm ready for the big stage, you know. You know, Lex, uh, in an interview, he made it uh, clear that that's really important to him to put the fighters first. And, like, when the opportunity comes like this to hold, um, not to hold the fighters back, to let them pursue their dreams in the UFC, you know, how much did that mean to you that he, he stuck to those words and, like, he kept his word in that regard? Yeah, a lot. That Lex was really helpful all along, you know. Like, I've been trying to fight for three times for Titan, you know, and everything, something happened, you know, like, cancel events, injured opponents, you know, stuff like that. But it's part of the business, you know. Um, we understand that. But Lex always made sure that I had everything I need, you know. He helped me with a lot, bunch of stuff. So, and now he helped me with the... Yeah, I mean, like, the, the biggest thing, you know, he could ever offer, you know. So, Open St. Peru, number nine ranks light heavyweight in the UFC. You know, do you feel like that's too big of a test? Is it um, the right guy for you? Like, what are your thoughts when they're like, this is a, you know, you're fighting one of the top guys. Like, you're not even fighting someone on a prelim card who's also making his debut. You're fighting a guy who fought for the interim title um, roughly, like, a year ago. Yeah, I mean, uh I'm ready for anybody, you know, like, I'm not here to play, you know, chess or whatever. I'm here to fight. So, so I'm, I'm here to, to, to compare myself with the best. So I want to prove every, everybody else I'm the best, you know, so I'm, I'm going there really confident, you know, um, I've been training for a long time over here in the black zillion, you know, and, uh, everything is, is great. I have great partners. And I, and I got champions around me, you know, guys I can I can you know compare myself to, and you know it's not it's just it's just time for me to to go on a big stage, and if I can 
go right away in the ranks, you know, on top 10 guy, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to do it, you know. So what is your psyche like? Like you're training for a fight, it's days away, like you're cutting weight and then you're going to the UFC and the fights now get pushed back a couple weeks. Like, is that hard to deal with like weight cutting or training camp, like extending it like that unexpectedly? Yeah, uh, the weight, the weight was a, a really big, a really big, um, uh, is it a really big, really big focus right now? Um, cause I was supposed to fight heavyweight, so I really didn't care about my weight, but right now everything is going fine. I'm, I think I'm on the perfect weight, you know, for the, for when is the fight in eight, no, nine days, something like that. I think I'm mm-hmm. perfect weight right now. So yeah, the, the weight cut is, good, is doing great, but, um, it's, it's going to be a little tough, you know, but, um, I'm ready for that, you know? What do you do in the training camp? Do you like kind of pick back up like where you would normally be two weeks out from a fight or do you just kind of keep that taking it easy in the final week uh, mentality? So I always took it easy the last week, like really easy to recover, you know, but now since I have to lose cut weight, you know, uh, it's going to be different. But uh, right now it's a lot of specifics, you know, just to know what I have to do against OSP, you know, more strategy and stuff like that. So there seems to be like two two kind of fighters. Like one fighter likes to, you know, do a lot of film study and game plan for a specific opponent. And then there's like other fighters that just kind of like to focus on what they do strong. Wh- which one are you? Do you Are you training, like, are you coming up with a game plan, stri- you know, strictly for St. Peru? Or are you uh, just focused kind of on doing what you do well? I'm always training with stuff I love, you know, I try to reinforce the positive all the time, but also I want to see and I want to work on all my weakness, you know, so around I'm training like that. And when it's coming close to fights, then I, I can do a specific work and then I can watch tape. But all year around, I'm just trying to improve the, the fighter I am, you know, so the, the strategy and the, the tape, you know, I, I'm really into that, you know, I, I love to study and I love to, to, to minimize, you know, everything, every mistake I can do. So I love to watch tapes for sure. You earn a, you know, a well-known MMA gym with a lot of UFC fighters. Have any of them given you any kind of um, advice about your debut in the UFC or maybe advice about OSP in particular? Yeah, I got I got people around me that that's that's gonna be there, you know, the day of the fight and the week of the fight. Uh, AJ is gonna be there, I think. Rashad, probably, and those people, you know, they they're gonna they're gonna help me with everything, you know, like like just to smooth the transaction. But I'm not I'm not really I don't think he's like uh, different because any fight is uh, you know it's any fight can be dangerous, you know, so. Um, so for me, it's just it's just a bigger stage, but it's, it's just uh, an, another fight. So so I have to take all my fights fight seriously. You know, of course this one is going to be the the biggest test, but um, yeah, it, it has to be the same for me. So we've seen a lot of European success in the UFC lately. You know, Joanna Jejunczak, you have uh, Michael Bisping winning the title, and of course Conor McGregor. You're the UFC's first uh, fighter from Switzerland. Like, how much does that mean to you? Actually, it means a lot. I'm really proud of being the first, also. And um, 
uh, hopefully hopefully meeting the first I can help other people you know like go I mean start training and being better or like coach them or bring them to my team in uh, here in Brazilian you know so I hope I can I can be you know like motivation for many people do you are there what's the culture like in Switzerland surrounding MMA is it you know a popular thing is it still kind of a fringe thing uh, it's yeah it's pretty new people start knowing about it the media start talking about it but um you know we we're more like a hockey guys or tennis you know foot soccer soccer you know and that's those are the main sports and um it's gonna take time for people to really for this sport to be mainstream but uh, with the ufc around you know maybe it's gonna it's gonna be a total change you know have you gotten a lot of uh, feedback from people back home? Have you gotten a lot of calls to do um, interviews and things back in Switzerland? Yes, yes. Right now it's kind of crazy, so it's good because I, I mean, I just I'm just grabbing the opportunity right now. So everybody's calling, and I'm trying, you know, get everything done. Maybe get some sponsor at the same time, you know. And <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, it's it's a good it's a good it's a good timing right now. You seem like a very calm uh, person. Is it just kind of your personality as just always kind of calm and even keel? I'm I'm like that, right? Yes, yes. Um, that's why I don't I don't really stress about anything. You know, when I fight, I don't stress, and I, I just take take the day as you know as a normal day. So this helped me, I think, a lot uh, with everything. When I fight, I'm more. I know when to release aggressiveness, and I know when to to be really calm. Is that just kind of your personality, or is that something you've trained to be that way? It's, 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 it's how I am, yeah. It's who I am. It's very fascinating. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk to us today and joining the show. Um, best of luck to you. Looking forward to seeing you in Houston. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. All right, everybody. That was um, UF the newest UFC signed fighter, Volkan Izdemir. He uh, so gracious enough to take time to talk out to, uh, to talk to us, you know, just a little over a week out from his UFC debut at UFC Fight Night in Houston. Um, you know, what a whirlwind week it's been for him to go from fighting uh, on, you know, Titan for Titan FC for the uh, title belt to then getting pulled from that card to fight for the UFC and fulfill a dream, um, becoming the first person from his country to fight for the title. You know that there's. A pressure that maybe we don't understand that goes into that uh, you know you have a country back home everybody all this attention focus on you to American MMA fans who aren't necessarily as familiar with him he might not his name might not pop out on the card and it might um, not seem like a big deal or you might be seen like somebody who's flying under the radar especially when he's going into a fight against somebody like Open State Peru who's uh, a better known fighter uh, top 10 ranked you know heavy light heavyweight um, somebody who fought for the interim title not too long ago. He might be flying under the radar and not be somebody you focused on, but he's got a country back home calling him and uh, asking for interviews and feedback. And, um, you know, it's a big deal for a segment of people that we're just not uh, aware of and in tune to. And, you know, he seems like he's got the right kind of mentality to um, block all that stuff out, just focus on what he needs to do to get the job done uh, in Houston. So it, that'll be really interesting, interesting to watch. And, you know, he's taken this fight on short notice and making his USA debut, but it's not really like he's taking it on short notice. You know, he was in a training camp preparing for a fight, and all of a sudden that got pulled um, 
so that he could make this debut. So he was in the midst of a training camp when uh, he got this call, the only difference being that he was you know, not having to cut weight, and now he does. Um, so there's a little bit of you know, stress there, but you know, it doesn't seem like that's something that's concerning him. And you know, it'll be interesting to watch. This is definitely maybe a sleeper uh, fight to watch on the card um, in Houston, Super Bowl weekend. So it, it'll be interesting to see how uh, his debut unfolds. Um, he seems like the kind of guy who won't let the pressure get to him. But anyways, rolling along, we have uh, our final guest of the show. We have Tony Ferguson, who's supposed to, well, we're supposed to be getting on the phone here any minute. Tony Ferguson is fighting for the interim light heavyweight title at UFC 209 against Khabib Nurmagomedov, And, uh, you know, they've been going back and forth on social media. It's been interesting. There's, you know, Khabib was folk, you know, offering money to uh, have Tony do the fight, some of his own money to make the fight happen. Um, he was, you know, drawing a line in the sand, wanting more money in the contract dispute with the USC. Ultimately, he got what he wanted in this fight's uh, about to happen. So uh, it'll be interesting to see everything, um, you know, unfold. It's a, it's an interesting, interesting situation. Let's see if we can get him on the. Bear with me one second, just trying to get him on the get him on the phone. Okay, it looks like we're having a hard time getting a hold of him. We'll try him back here in a second. Anyways, uh, for those of you who don't know, he's fighting, like I said, Habib Nurmagomedov for the interim UFC light heavyweight title at UFC 209. That's the card that's being headlined by Tyrone Woodley and Stephen Thompson uh, running it back for the UFC welterweight title um, in Las Vegas. It's interesting that the interim, that they went ahead and issued an interim UFC lightweight championship for this fight, considering Conor McGregor just won uh, in November. It's not like he's been inactive yet, but it's kind of more of a proactive decision to create an interim title knowing that the um, that Conor McGregor's planning on taking an extended absence, which really isn't even that extended of an absence. He's not going to even be gone a year, but um, didn't want to fight reportedly until uh, the summer at the earliest. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, what Tony Ferguson thinks about the way that that situation's played out. Um, Habib has said some things about the title belt and, uh, you know, not really caring so much about it. For him, it's just um, another stepping stone. But... You know, it, it's not, an, an interim title isn't necessarily something to take for granted. I know a lot of people in MMA media and as far as fans go, um, don't really appreciate the interim titles or the frequency at which the UFC has seemingly been handing them out lately. That being said, um, if you follow some of the athletes who have won interim titles lately, you know it means a lot. Like when Conor McGregor beat uh, Chad Mendes for their interim UFC uh, featherweight title. Oh, we got him on the Hello. Hello. This is Tony. Hey, Tony. Thank you uh, so much for taking the time out to call us. My name's Mike. Hey, what's up, Mike? How you doing? Doing well. Um, so let's just kind of jump right into it. Um, we were All just... right. It's perfect. I'm actually practicing right now, so it's perfect. 
<laughs> are you, do you have like earbuds in and you're answering questions as you're hitting mitts? Because that would be incredible. I'm actually on the beach right now, man. I'm doing a lot of kata right now. I'm doing my elbow kata and, and getting some sprints in and enjoying this Newport weather, dude. I'll send you a picture too if I could. <laughs> bad Is that something you do frequently, practice on the beach? I love it, man. Uh, growing up in Michigan, we, we I was near the Great Lakes. So it was really peaceful to like be able to go to the beach whenever you wanted and run the dunes, you know, preparing for all your work. And it's just a really big peaceful thing for me. And uh, I think it's dope, man. It, good work in the sand too. So I live in Chicago. We're in Chicago, and uh, so not quite necessarily Michigan, but we got the cold weather, and <laughs> it's like eight months out of the year you just can't do anything. Yeah, that's why I'm familiar with that shit. I, I know exactly what you're talking about, Mister. But we, we enjoy it, man, and I put my time and my effort there for like 18 years. So you're right around the corner right there. You guys get that lake effect stuff, too. Yep. So oh, That's a, that's hard. You it's ever good shoveling, man. Are you ever moving <laughs> back to Michigan, or you just enjoy the California weather too much? No, absolutely not, man. I'm <laughs> one of those guys. I love, I love the seasons. I absolutely love the seasons. I think it makes us tougher. Uh, just the Midwest a little bit, just kind of tougher, man. And, um, you know, just the, just the climbing, you have to get used to it, be a little bit more aware of your surrounding areas. And uh, the food is bomb, too. But besides, like, the, the summer and everything else, Michigan's great. You know, I took my, my wife and my kid. We went to the Mackinac Bridge. And that was the first time I've ever went to the Mackinac Bridge, too. So it was pretty special, man, And uh, to show them all that cool stuff. You know, a lot of the Amish and, like, a lot of the countryside. Uh, I'm a country boy at heart, bro. So it fits right in. I've been up in that part of the country, uh, Traverse City area, which is kind of near Mackinac. That's, like, it. You don't you don't think of that I guess when you think of Michigan, or at least I didn't think of that when I thought of Michigan. But it's really striking and beautiful. Oh, it's awesome! It's amazing, dude. It's good. It's, it's good people. It's humble. Uh, I I mean, you always see the commercials, you know, like experience Michigan or live Michigan. It's only until you go there you, you don't understand it, and it's a dope ass vacation spot. Traverse City is known for their best wines, so I mean, I love it, man. Michigan's great. It's always in my heart, and I got a lot of love back there, dude. So. This fight's very important to me, not just for me out here in California, but especially where I come from. So we were we were talking about the the fight, and we were talking specifically kind of about the situation regarding the lightweight title belt. Are you frustrated uh, being in a situation where there's a brand new lightweight champion, and even after so many wins in a row, you don't get to fight him? You're having to fight for an interim title. Uh, regardless of who's in front of me, is who I'm going to fight. Uh, I'm a champion. Uh, I'm a champion at heart, and I believe it 100 percent. I don't need a plaque or a belt to tell me that I'm a champion or to believe that I'm a champion. I put in my hours and I put in my time and effort. And I do that in regards to not worrying about anybody. I don't care what they're doing, man. They're not blue chip like me. They don't work as hard as I do. If they do, then it's cool. Then I'm not seeing it either because champions are, 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 are made when people aren't watching. The belt is like the icing on the cake. It's so amazing. Yeah, and, the, and all this talk about you get an interim title, you get an interim title, everyone gets an interim title. It's a big joke. I love it, but I've earned my right to be here. And if it's for an interim title belt or if it's for the real thing, it's not going to matter. I have two other guys in front of me that needed an ass woman. You have a Russian and you have an Irishman who are very good at the sport. And you have a Mexican who's me, a Mexican-American who's very proud and fights strong. And I don't see them beating me, man. I stay humble, I stay true, and, I, and I'm right here on the beach, man, with no coaches. I'm here with another training partner, man, and we're just getting to work in. I don't have anybody holding my hand telling me that I have to go and get up in the morning and do my work. These other guys, they have huge teams, and they rely on that. 
that's good for them, man. I tried, I tried it once, and you know, I just found that nobody can operate at the same speed. So, you know, regardless if it's for the belt or for it's not for the belt, I'm gonna have my next record, which is ten fights in a row, win streak, and what sounds better than twelve and one, thirteen and one. Absolutely, your, you know, your next opponent could be. He's earned, uh, and it's a well-earned reputation of you know being so dominant. Do you see? Um, anything from his last fight, however, that makes you kind of excited, like a weakness to exploit? Oh, yeah, his chin. Definitely his chin. He's got a weak chin. He's got, it's been tested time and true. Uh, Michael Johnson tested it with a nice straight left. My boxing is far superior than his. You can grapple as much as you want, but this is in Sambo. This is MMA. And I got some of the heaviest hands here in the division. And you can ask any of the guys that I fought before if they ever want to fight me again. <laughs> and those dudes are probably still tasting nickels and dimes. They're, that acidic taste in their mouth, that battery acid taste. That's what Khabib's going to have in his mouth, dude. He's going to be hating that shit when he sees my hand raised from UFC 209. Now, he's known so much for his wrestling. Do you kind of see him as like a one-trick pony, whereas you're like a more well-rounded fighter? I've had. I've, I've wrestled my entire life. Uh, I think a lot of people forget that. I picked up boxing as a hobby. I picked up Muay Thai as an art. And I picked up jiu-jitsu because it's part of the game. And you have to learn this. The one thing is, is if you're very good at one thing, and Bruce Lee said it, you know, if you're not the man that knows a thousand moves, but if you're the man that practices one move a thousand times, well, actually, it was kick. But I'm that guy that practices a thousand moves a thousand times. Because I care. And I'm that passionate about it. This dude... It just seems like his focus is on everything else, and like RDAs, his focus is on Connor and getting supposedly the real belt. I mean, that's pretty real to me. If you can feel it, you can see it, you can hold it. I can give a shit who holds the other one. This, this one, I'll put my county belt, I'll just say UFC belt, and I'll still beat these dudes. What what allows you to be so like laser focused as opposed to like letting these other things come in the frame like these other guys? Mental toughness, kid. Absolutely mental toughness is something that I have to pave the way for my fighters and for my trainers as well. Because if I don't have it, they're not going to demonstrate it to everybody else. And if I'm not demonstrating it, what kind of a coach and what kind of an athlete and kind of a person am I a representative from the people that have helped me in the past? Mm-hmm. I have a lot of coaches that have helped me get to where I'm at. And, and, and a lot of the coaches that said, if I can't get you to that next spot, Tony, Anthony, I'm going to find the right person that can and that right there is a blue chip mentality. I take a very academic approach to this and I, and I really crunch the numbers and I see where my flaws are at and I, and I get coached. I don't have a big fat head. It takes a lot of humility to do the shit that I do. It sucks. I hate it. I, I don't like it. But I know it's good for me. Is that something when we... it, Go ahead. It's good for, when, when it's good for you, man, it's like eating your vegetables. You know what it's going to be. Am I going to put Taco Bell in my tank the whole entire time that I'm in camp? No, absolutely not. I know what's good for me and I have to invest it in my body. You have to put the money in the bank. Being a fighter who's been around a lot of fighters and being someone who's a coach, is that something that's like common that you see that you know a lot of fighters are hard to coach or resistance to it? I think everybody wants to be cool in their own right mindset and they spend too much time and energy on certain things that they can't control. And uh, they need to put that energy and time and effort into certain things that they can't control, which is their energy output and their work workload. Uh, same, plain and simple, man. I mean, if you're, if you're losing, you got to look at the drawing board. Don't blame anybody. If you're winning, you got to look at the drawing board. you gotta, you got to win the different. I think a lot of fighters hit plateaus, and they think that, and they settle. And I think they lose that drive and that hunger. But that's why I'm different, and 
I, I don't really float in the clouds too much, man, because I, I try to keep that hunger. I use the analogy like a game genie with a Nintendo, man. A lot of these fighters, they want those pay-per-view numbers and shit, but where's their heart at now? Mm-hmm. They don't have that. They don't have that love for the game no more. I, I doubt if they even come back. Because this is a this is this is a poor man's sport. MMA is a poor man's sport. It, it surpassed boxing. This is a poor man's sport. You do this sport for the love of the game. And it sucks that a lot of these younger athletes have to to dress the part, and be the part of a fucking superstar, and not just have the talent to get paid. Right. It sucks. So. I mean, that goes for me, and that's where I'm trying to pay the way. Like, look, man, you know, I'm not going to bitch. I'm not going to I'm not talking about other things. All I'm going to do is keep doing what I'm doing and recommend to all these other fighters that they do the same thing, which is stay humble, fight your ass off, and train your ass off, and, and, and remember to give back to those people that helped you get there, regardless if it's through funds or time and energy or volunteering. And this is something that we've seen come to fruition for you. You got a new contract for this fight, uh, doing it the way that you just uh, so eloquently described. Um, is this a new contract going forward, or is it strictly kind of just for this fight and future title fights? I think it's just for this one. I'm not too positive on it. I know management, they, they, they have all the details, dude. I don't like to nitpick on the details. But what I do know is I'm going to surpass this thing that I have in front of me for this fight. I'm always aiming. If they give me a goal and a sheet, and a, I'm a contractor, dude. Mm-hmm. I'm going to always aim to please and be better than that. I'm always going to aim to be not 150%. I'm not a lame. You know, but I'm going to give my best foot effort. And if I fuck up, then I fuck up. And I hate to use that language. I'm really trying to clean it up. You know, but <laughs> no it's like if I, if, I mess, if I mess it up, then I mess it up. But that's on me, dude. That's not anybody else. I, I get all the heat. Trust me, I get heat from everybody. I'm, I'm tough as nails. I, I can take it. Trust me. And that gives me the energy I need to go to succeed and hit the bag on my way to victory. No problem. You mentioned being a contractor. How did that kind of come about? This, that's something that came about in the midst of your UFC career, right? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I bought a house. I, I bought a house for my wife and my kid. And I always told myself, I was like, when I get enough money, you know, I'm just going to pay people to do this stuff because I know how to do it, blah, 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 and all that bullshit. But when you actually get your own spot and you actually love it and, you know, you've lived in apartments and I'm not saying shit complexes, but I lived in decent spots. But I've always upgraded and tried to get to where I wanted to be comfortable so I could have my family. So they wouldn't have any wants or needs. Not saying that I grew up with it, but that's what you want for your kids and your family. You don't want them to have that. So when I had my my house, my house is not run down. I was like, shit, man, I'm, I'm going to go to work. I played Bob the Builder, dude. I was building stuff left and right. I just laid concrete down. I put like 11 cubic yards of concrete diamond stamp. So this, and, so this was like you fixing up your house and now it's become like a company on the side? It's just become a hobby, dude, and, it's, and I'm really good at what I do, and it's a lot of people are liking what I do, and I've, getting, I've been getting hit up about just a lot of my work, and I'm very original with what I do, and I'm very good with woodworking, and, and you know, I got my coach is going to teach me how to weld. I like being busy. I don't like to sit around and watch TV and not do anything. You know, pick up a book once in a while. You know, I listen to music, like, all the time. That's I love that. I love music. And if you know how I fight, rhythm is everything, man. What, can't break my rhythm. Can't break my rhythm. You talked about, you know, your work. What would you describe your style when it comes to your work? Grindy with a Y. Grindy. <laughs> I love it. So we've seen like Vanilla Ice have like his show on design, uh, some like TV show. Is there is there a Tony Ferguson, El Kukui, like, you know, flip, house flipping show in the future? Oh, absolutely. I would love it. My wife all the time, anytime she sees, I have to turn the show off because I'm doing new projects because she points and she's like, look, I, I want to try that. I said, okay. 
I look at it and I try to figure it out. And most of the time it's good, man. I got my little sketchbook. I do all my sketches out. I do my drawings. I do my planning. I put how many boards I need. I, I measure it out to the T, dude. And that translates into my, my fight game. Because when I'm articulate with my other art, which is my hobbies and all my woodworking on my other stuff, and there's no screws unscrewed and there's no seams unseamed, that means my jiu-jitsu game's tight and my Muay Thai game is hard. Just because it translates over, because I care. And transitioning back to the fight a little bit, you know, one of the interesting matchups I think is your rubber guard versus Habib. Have you thought about like how your rubber guard is going to match up against him? Absolutely. I'm going to put him out if he gets in my rubber guard, man. I've been working day and night on this since Big Bear. And yesterday we were over at 10 Planet Jiu-Jitsu HQ and we were going over this stuff. I feel like go-go gadget, man. This guy's going to get caught up in one of my clinches. He's going <laughs> to, once he's in there, he's just going to be lost, man. He's too traditional for my style especially for Eddie Bravo's step on jiu-jitsu. And, and much was made about his wrist lock that he used against Michael Johnson at UFC 205. Do you think that was like overplayed? Is that something to worry about at all, or is it just something that Michael Johnson couldn't defend? Michael Johnson couldn't defend it, dude. He stacked all his chips in the stand-up department. I could tell immediately when he walked out. That dude didn't defend not one takedown. He didn't even try. He was like, I'm going to knock this guy out. I'm going to spend all my chips on that. I'm a completely different animal than Michael. We're both wrestlers, but I'm the kind of wrestler that was from Midwest. And if you get controlled on the bottom like that, you have to know how to escape. I'm from Grand Valley State University wrestling. We won nationals. We know hand fighting and we know how to get off the bottom. I'm a skate artist, man. Nobody's ever helped me on bottom. Danny Castillo might have, but that was before I learned the decent art of jiu-jitsu. I picked it up and I will never get caught on bottom. I'll put this dude in a labyrinth and he won't even get, he, he won't even get out of there if, even if he has GPS. It'll be lost. <laughs> and you... Your last fight was five rounds, and it was at altitude, no less. Like, how do you do? You think that that was just kind of like, you know, the perfect fight to prepare you for a championship fight? Five rounds in Mexico City at altitude. That was an amazing fight. It, it was great. I prepared like I was uh, going against a championship fight. I was fighting the champ, the ex champ. It was dope, man. So you had, I had to put in the damn work. I, I knew being up at Big Bear was going to be uh, fun and grindy, but. <laughs> No, it hurt, sucked. I'm not gonna say it was fun, you know, being away from your family. But I'm not, I'm not in Afghanistan. I can't bitch too much, you know. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing what the, our military's doing. So I, I had to stop bitching, get to work, and it's exactly what we did, man. So now this is the opportunity that I have. I'm not wasting it. I'm gonna be training my ass off. I'm already doing that. I'm way ahead of schedule, and I'm gonna keep being ahead of schedule. And this is this is how I practice. And this is how I am, man. And I'm not overdoing it. I'm having fun, and I'm doing my interviews. And uh, I'm not being Ronda Rousey and saying no. I gotta focus. You know? Bless her heart. I love that girl. No, I know you're on the beach, so I don't want to take up too much of your time and take you away from the view. But so we'll end with this. If you had to name one essential thing about yourself that makes you hard to beat, what would it be? My will, my spirit. You can't break me. I'm unbreakable. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk to us while you're on the beach, no less. Uh, best of luck to you at your fight. Can't wait to see you in Vegas. Hey, thanks, guys. All right, there we have it. Hearing from Tony Ferguson, El Kakui, fighting at UFC 209 in Las Vegas in the co-main event for the interim lightweight title. Uh, the winner would, would you know, presumably go on to fight. 
Conor McGregor in a lightweight unification title bout sometime in the future. Um, not an easy matchup by any means. Khabib is, you know, 24-0, but, you know, Tony Ferguson's an underrated fighter. He's got a nine-fight win streak. I think he's only lost once in his UFC career, um, which spans more than, obviously, more than nine fights. Uh, I think 13, maybe. Um, so, you know, very veteran guy, very seasoned guy, and it'll be interesting to, uh, to see how that fight plays out. You know, both of these fighters present interesting matchups for Conor McGregor, but both of them present interesting matchups uh, to one another. Habib, you know, he's no, so known for his wrestling, but uh, Ferguson, that isn't a weakness of his, and he also brings a stand-up game that maybe Habib isn't ready to match. So if this fight goes to the ground, it'll be interesting to see the two contrasting styles um, compare and see who can come out on top as their interim lightweight title. Um, we heard Tony Ferguson said he didn't really feel um, he doesn't do this necessarily for the awards or plaques. He doesn't need that. Uh, I, I think that there's still uh, some merit to the interim titles, and it's not something that should be taken for granted. But either way, it'll be interesting to watch. That'll be on pay-per-view March 4th, I believe, UFC 209 in Las Vegas. Again, the main event of that one is Tyron Woodley versus Stephen Thompson, rematch from UFC 205 uh, for the welterweight title. Um, that brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you, everyone, who tuned in to watch, uh, listening. Again, we had Emmanuel Sanchez from Bellator talk about his fight over the weekend. Volkan Demir, who's making his USA debut in Houston, called in to talk about his upcoming fight. And Tony Elkakui Ferguson calling in, first-time guest, by the way, uh, talking about his fight against Habib Nurmagomedov, so for the title in a couple, a little over a month away. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening once again. You can find the Extra Rounds podcast on a host of places. We stream every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central on the Sports Illustrated MMA Facebook page. You can download, you can subscribe to the podcast and download it in iTunes or Google, the Google Store. Um, it's also in the TuneIn app and the Stitcher app. You can find it there as well. Um, and it's always, if you call in to this number, 815-570-3923, you can leave voicemail with a question and we'll play the question on air um, and get to it. Uh, we didn't get to, to do any of that this week. I know we had some questions that we wanted to get to, but we had a full slate of guests, so we decided to go that route instead. So I'm sorry for everybody who called in, but uh, keep calling in with your questions at 815-570-3923, and we will play them on the air. Thank you again for everybody who tuned in to watch. We'll see you next week.